Aloha. This is Catherine Cruz. Thanks for joining us here on The Conversation, Hawaii Talks. It's Thursday, January 18th. This morning, we hear from Governor Josh Green. I'm not playing around. If we have to take care of local people at the expense of other people who are making large profits and and running properties in our state, I'll do it. We get reaction from the governor on the priorities outlined by the House and Senate on the opening day of the legislature. And we hear more about specific areas of focus for the state in general from the House Speaker and Senate President. And we talk artificial intelligence with a major defense contractor looking to grow the talent pool locally. You're tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. The legislative session is now officially underway. Maui's recovery is at the top of the priorities. We spoke with Governor Josh Green this morning to hear his reaction to the opening speeches by House Speaker Scott Psyche and Senate President Ron Kochi. Well, I'm encouraged that everyone is focused on Maui and its recovery. Its recovery will reflect our values. And so I have to say I'm very happy that the Senate and the House both spoke to that question. Our proposals are going to be a robust recovery. We have to move where now the 5,404 people that are still in hotel rooms into long-term rentals and transitional housing. We formed an alliance with the county and HCF and CNHA and FEMA and announced $500 million to kind of rent, buy, and build housing for 3,000 families on Maui. So everyone is doing the work. That's what we're focused on. And then we also have to focus on all the other priorities for our state, which mostly are affordability and housing. So that's where I'm going to be focused for the next year. And I'm, I'm optimistic that people see that as our priority, too. Yes, and you will be delivering the State of the State address uh, next week. Can you talk about, you know, uh, some of the specifics of, of these uh, goals? I can, definitely. I will announce uh, some pretty landmark legislation to help us move the community of short-term rentals over to uh, long-term rentals or to ownership by our local people. So there'll be an announcement about a piece of legislation to do that. There will be talk about the climate impact fund that we need, and that has to happen if we really want to do all that we can to deal with climate change and to prevent you know, the fire risk that we have. So those are two big signature items that I'm working on, and we're also going to be spending some energy talking about phase two of the tax breaks for Alice families in our state. I will mention that now 44% of our citizens are in the Alice family category, meaning their kind of paycheck to paycheck survival is on the line. And 63% of all of those who are Hawaiian, all Hawaiian families are in that category now struggling. So those are some of the highlights. In addition to what I'll talk about on Maui, there's a lot more to share. It'll be about a 30 to 40 minute address, it looks like, talking about what people have shared with me are their priorities and concerns. Well, you know, as we look at Maui, you know, the last thing we want is to see our families be forced to move away. When I was checking with FEMA just to see, well, you know, how much rental assistance are you giving to families who have opted to go Vegas or California or wherever, you know, they may have other connections with communities there on the mainland. And at, at the time, it was only a small number, you know, half a dozen or more, but we don't want to see that number grow if we can't put those families that are now in hotels into more permanent housing. You're totally right. And we have uh, 2,400 families right now who are kind of weighing that decision. We hope to give them all uh, two years of, of free rent and rentals by direct lease in the community. There's now over a thousand of those short-term rentals that converted and we'll pay for that to help people get through the, you know, the next two years. But everyone has a decision to make for their family. Some people lost jobs because, you know, the businesses were lost in the fire. Uh, but there's many other opportunities that are coming. Maui, in addition to what it has been historically, which was tourism, is now going to be a place for recovery. And there's going to be a lot of local jobs created as we remove the debris and as we rebuild. So it's going to be a dynamic time. I mean, our hearts are still broken or bruised about those who lost property or course, who lost a loved one. And time will heal a lot of these wounds, but it never let us forget. So I think that people are going to, for the most part, stay the course and try to stay in Maui. I'm going to keep fighting against people coming in as predators and taking land. Uh, but it's going to take a long time. 
we'll see the first transitional housing units land in the next couple months, and that's really good. That will give some people hope, but there's always going to be a few people that just can't wait or the time is not right in their life to be kind of uprooted. They may have a child in high school they want to, that they want to really give the full, stable uh, circumstance to because teenagers need extra help, and they may do to go elsewhere for a time. We're hopeful that we can really get something for everyone. And day in and day out, we're going to try hard. You were threatening early on to use a, a big stick, you know, with a, a moratorium on the vacation rentals. But, you know, we are trying to reach out to those landlords, whether they live here or they live abroad, to open their units uh, to these families. Is there anything you want to say directly to them if somebody's on the fence out there? I do, and I'll do it now, and I also will do it on Monday. I'm saying this to anyone out there who owns a property and rents it on Maui. Please accept our offer to pay the fair market value that you got in the past years, which is very significant resources. We're also going to give you, per the county's action, uh, property tax exemptions, so you won't pay property tax. And then get, send us an email and offer us to lease your property. The email is mauihousing2024 at fema.dhs.gov. mauihousing2024 at fema.dhs.gov. There are 27,000 available short-term rentals. Uh, 52% of them are owned by people from the mainland. And we need people to do this because if I don't get enough units transition for our local people, then I will come over the top on March 1st and declare a regional moratorium on short-term rentals until we get that number. And so people might say they're going to litigate you know, and, and sue the state for doing that. I have to put local people first. I have to do it, and I want to do it, and I'm going to do it. So let's hope that everyone helps. Like I said, we had, well, we had 1,029 uh, units that had been basically contracted with and put into the queue by FEMA alone. The state's doing hundreds and hundreds also, and so we may get to that 3,000 before it becomes desperate. But I'm not playing around. You know, if we have to take care of local people at the expense of other people who are making large profits and, and running properties in our state, I'll do it because we have to restore some sanity and balance to this you know, housing circumstance. And that's why I'm proposing legislation, and you'll hear me talk a lot about this on Monday, that will provide essentially an amnesty period from taxes if people sell their properties so that they can be used for local families. So people will get a tax clear um, pathway if they sell their homes so that we can use them. And that is going to be considered, I think, an unprecedented action that a state government would take. But I'm happy to forego some tax collections in order to help local people. You know, in the past, you have talked about using a scalpel, you know, and I don't know if you thought through a moratorium, if you have to go that route, narrowing it down, you know, narrowing it down to West Maui. You know, any other thoughts about that that you can share? Well, it's a big scalpel, for sure. But yes, it would be regionalized. So it would be just West Maui. It would be uh, temporal. It would only be for the for the two month increments of, you know, the emergency proclamation, which I have to re-up every two months. And the moment I got enough housing, I would lift it. But it does create a situation where people will have to you know, look deeply into their hearts and decide whether they want to make their property available. Really, by the way, at no loss to them at all. It, if, I were, if I were playing rough and loose with, with executive power, I would be much harsher and wouldn't pay what amounts to a lot of money to get these houses and make them available. Uh, but it's really, my approach is to try to be fair and not do anything that would take away from anybody who's already set up a business model for themselves. I know there are some local people that own Airbnbs or, or short-term rentals, and they rely on that income for themselves and their family. But you know, people are making four times what they would normally make from a regular rental, and that is just not even remotely possible to pay. Imagine if you're paying $4,000 of rent, and tomorrow someone said, well, now it's actually four times that. It's almost 16000 It's just totally insanity. So this has to change. That's why there is regulation and why sometimes you get a governor that is a bit tougher than others, you know, and that's what I'm trying to be because the problem is tough. And we have to step into the fray and, and change the way we, we allow short-term rentals to dominate the landscape in Hawaii. We have to do that. 
it'll probably be incremental. The reason my piece of legislation is, let's, let's call it a little bit more surgical, is uh, I am going to create a, a runway, like a two-year runway, so that people can take advantage of this. That will give p- plenty of people time if they want to do it. And, and that could result in tens of thousands of units that go back into our housing market. That, combined with the emergency housing orders we've been using to expedite and get around red, ta- uh, red tape to build houses, will help a lot. But it is a really difficult challenge to take on, and it was made enormously harder by this tragic fire. That's honestly what I signed up for, to take on big problems, and I'm doing it because I care deeply about our people. And that really means all people, especially those who have been displaced by this natural disaster. So that's what I'm going to be talking about on Monday. That's what people are experiencing. There's going to be a basically a unity walk, which I intend to uh, go to on Saturday in support of everyone, including those who are, you know, quote unquote, protesting government. Protesting me is probably not necessarily needed because I actually believe in what's been expressed, which is that everyone deserves housing and we need to move away from short-term rentals. But it's good that people speak up, and that's why we're going. That was Governor Josh Green, who we talked to earlier this morning. We'll hear more from our interview with him right after the short break. Are you interested in working for one of Hawaii's most dynamic media organizations? HPR is looking to hire a full-time board operator with experience in digital media production and broadcasting. If you're a quick study, possess strong time management skills, have a dynamic on-air presence, and if you enjoy new and interesting workplace challenges, HPR wants to hear from you. Visit hawaiipublicradio.org jobs to learn more. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Carlene Montes de Oca. I'm the author of Dog as My Doctor, Cat as My Nurse. And next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how our dogs and cats can help enhance our health and our well-being. Sunday morning at 11. Let's get back to our conversation that we had with Governor Josh Green. We spoke with him this morning. He is encouraged by the forecast by the Council of Revenues that the state will have more in its tax coffers to spend. Here's Green. Fortunately, they increased the financial forecast from 1.3% to 4% growth for fiscal year 2024. And they adjusted it down slightly by um, 0.45% from 5.2 to 4.75 for the following year. What this meant uh, for everybody is we're going to have an extra $500 million to invest in our needs. And this puts our administration in the position to, number one, not cut any jobs. Two, to fund all of the housing and health care initiatives that you had heard about before. And finally, I've still uh, been able to balance our budget with enough surplus to not get anywhere near having to use the rainy day fund. And, look, I will use the rainy day fund someday if we ever have to. That's got $1.5 billion in it. But it's really good to save if we can, because it helps us and uh, gives us lower rates for all of our debt, which means more resources for schools and health care and housing. It also, it's important to have some safety in case a hurricane ever hit us and caused a billion dollars of immediate loss. Fire did do terrible damage, and a lot of that is going to be covered by the federal government the work I'm doing with the president, and then uh, over a billion dollars of insurance has already come in. Doubtless, there's going to be a lot more cost 
We budgeted over the next several years a total of about $600 million spread out over three or four years, which should cover what we need. But it's a good thing that the economy's better. And I do want to say this. It was a, the toughest decision I ever made, probably, to tell people we had to at least prepare to open West Maui when I made that decision for October 8th. The reason for that was if people felt they couldn't come to Hawaii in general, which is the confusion that occurs, we would have seen a billion dollars or more of loss. And then I would have no capacity to build housing or to build a new school or to pay for the loans of nurses and social workers and family doctors to be in Hawaii and care for our people. It's really that simple. And so we have to balance and be compassionate to those on Maui, but we also have to consider every last person in the whole state and how we're going to go forward. So that's just my responsibility as governor, and I'll keep making those decisions, but know that I I have people in my heart when I make decisions like that. And as you can see, people are starting to heal and recover. And part of that was the process. And that process included getting back to work and making sure our economy survived. You are trying to do what you can to encourage our healthcare workers to stay here. You know, do they don't move off for for higher paying jobs in in other states? Yes. You have the uh, the help program, the loan forgiveness program. It's incredible, actually. We had 585 scholars already get chosen. We're going to do another, you know, six or 700 in July and August of this year. Not only are we the health state, but we're the super health state now. This program, compared to the spend, the 10 billion dollars plus spend we have every year on healthcare. These are very modest numbers of dollars to spend to care for what amounts to about 750,000 of our citizens that are going to be cared for just by the people that stay in Hawaii. I'll tell some of those stories uh, on Monday about some of the people that are staying, but suffice it to say that this prevents the exodus of doctors, nurses, social workers, psychologists, and everyone else that's in healthcare from going to other states where it's cheaper to get housing and faster to make money and pay off their debt. So we're going to continue to do this. It's a pretty astounding success in its first, just first few months. And by the time we're done with our term, I hope to all but have uh, stopped the shortage in its tracks and reversed it uh, for healthcare providers, which will help us a lot with our parents. So, it's, you know, one of many things we're doing, that's a, about a $20 million a year program out of a budget that you know is $10 billion. And interestingly, it was so successful, uh, one of our philanthropists stepped up, in this case, Mark Benioff, and gave us an additional $5 million to pay for even more scholarships. So we're asking for people to support it that way because I kind of like it when the, the private sector helps us. But all things being equal, I'm going to try to move us down the field on these big issues, housing affordability, healthcare, and the recovery of Maui, really aggressively because I've seen eras where we don't do very much. I just think it's what people want. I think they actually want us to solve problems. Well, you know, we talk about the challenges and maybe the hardships that uh, we have to deal with from time to time. But, you know, there's opportunity as well to do innovative things. I think we're at a a point with the University of Hawaii. You know, David Lassner is stepping down. Uh, There's a search for a new president. There's a search underway for the new med school dean. I guess we're we're kind of at a, a, a turning point, uh, but you know the university has certainly been uh, very, a very positive point on the economic landscape. You know, bringing lots of research dollars. But is there anything else you want to say about you know the opportunity that we have here with our university? Uh, yeah, well, I think you actually you said it quite nicely. the The transitions are afoot. Uh, as everyone knows, we have a new governor and first family right now, and we're trying to do our very best to. Be there for everyone. You're going to have a new president uh, who will take on some of the successes that President Lasters had, which have been actually quite substantial. You know, they're bringing over 500 million dollars of research dollars into the state already. We'll take that to the next level. Uh, Jackson is an extraordinary medical school, ranked quite highly. Uh, continues to attract great future doctors, and now we're going to be repaying a lot of their loans. So they stay in Hawaii forever. So there's just a lot of positivity out there. There are going to be disasters. There are going to be crises. But I think people are feeling a very different positive mood right now. The other governors, they did great things. 
but these were tough times that we came through with COVID. It created kind of a, uh, a cloud over everyone in the country. That cloud is now more or less gone. And you're seeing the institutions kind of restart with new leadership. So I think it's an exciting time. I've appointed a bunch of state representatives and judges. We now have half of our judicial system, uh, judiciary as women, which is something that people 50 years ago would never have imagined. I've been putting a really diverse group of candidates into the legislature as others have retired or joined our administration. Uh, we added uh, May Mizuno, uh, uh, an immigrant Filipino woman earlier in her life into the legislature and an extraordinary Hawaiian gentleman from Maui takes over uh, the seat that was vacated. So there's just, there's a lot of really positive things going on. I'm trying to make it a perfect reflection of Hawaii, which is the most diverse state with capacity that no other state has as far as uh, success economically because of tourism and the need to be strong in the Pacific because we are it. We are the tip of the spear for a lot of what will go on in, in, you know, in the Pacific. So it's a great place to be. It's exciting. But I know most people think about the basics for their families. So that's what you hear me focus on on Monday, housing and affordability. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Governor. You bet. Thank you for having me. That was Governor Josh Green, who we spoke to earlier this morning. He gave us a preview of his State of the State Address, which will take place on Monday. is the conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your Backyard Quiz. This week marked the 131st anniversary of the overthrow of the Hawaiian Kingdom. It was on January 17, 1893, that a group of businessmen and lawyers staged a coup against Queen Liliuokalani and her government. Many marched from Mauna Ala, the royal mausoleum, to Iolani Palace yesterday to commemorate the date. Oftentimes, historical occasions like this are examined, shared, and preserved through books, museum exhibits, and documentary films. Documentaries are a powerful tool, combining the depth and research of a book with the multi-sensory experience of film. Hawaii has been the subject of many a documentary, often exploring the geography and natural beauty of the islands. But one documentary film explores the life and times of Queen Liliuokalani, the last monarch of the Kingdom of Hawaii. That documentary was produced by PBS and chronicles her life from childhood to overthrow. For today's Backyard Quiz, we're looking for the film's name. Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which supports nonprofits providing parents and children experiencing homelessness with opportunities to secure housing, including Family Promise of Hawaii. NareetHawaii.com.
this morning, we are happy to welcome back Ashley Mazuo. She will be tracking issues at the state legislature this session, and she was on hand yesterday for all the fanfare. Hi, Ashley. It was it's so nice to see you again. Hi. Yeah, it's so great to be back. And so, uh, uh, tell us what what was the the mood? I mean, obviously, Lahaina, the big focus this session. Right. Yeah, I, I would say the mood was was somber, but but everyone seemed really ready to jump in and get to work. I know they were doing a lot of work in the interim before the session started. So of course, Maui recovery was you know the main issue that both the House and the Senate wanted to focus on. They are crafting bills to to help with that Lahaina recovery. They're already talking about a bipartisan bill package. Just completely dedicated to Maui recovery to helping Maui residents. It hasn't been introduced yet, but any any second now it probably will be. It's being finalized and House Speaker Scott Psyche is reviewing it and then it will be introduced and then the lawmakers can um, sign on to it. And then some other topics that, that were also important and, you know, all of these topics are very intertwined with each other, but, you know, some other big topics were water management, a lot of focus on sustainability, economic development, and of course, affordable housing. Speaker Psyche really wanted to focus on what he calls centering Hawaii when they tackled these issues. This work on the Lahaina wildfire, water, and many other topics aren't just interrogations of issues. We are fundamentally asserting that not only do we have agency and the responsibility to act, we are also questioning the how and the why and for whom. And, you know, he really honed in on protecting water and said, you know, if we do not protect water, then all other efforts to build affordable housing and how all this economic development, it just won't matter. And during that press conference after the opening remarks, Psyche also talked about the need for the state to address short-term rentals, which is a huge issue, and they really want to tackle it on a state level. He called it one of the top issues that we need to address in order to provide you know, more affordable housing to residents because counties have tried to tackle it, and he said that they haven't been able or haven't had the tools or been as effective doing so on their own. What was the uh, focus on the Senate side? Yeah, the focus on the Senate side was really similar, but Senate President Ron Kochi also talked a lot about securing access to education and increasing opportunities for local agriculture production. If we can get the DOE to get half of their plate locally sourced, we are going to move the needle in a huge way for our agricultural community, and we're going to have much better outcomes for our students. What is the best fire mitigation program we can have, well, that would be having the land in active use. The problem is as the plantations have closed, too much of the land has gone fallow and is dry. So like in there you see where there's so many of these issues that they're trying to tackle are all just really interconnected. And on the Senate side, he also really focused on trying to expand universal pre-K also as a priority to, to help out lower income families that that, you know, the burden of childcare really, really um, makes an impact on them. Kochi also told reporters that the budget was in pretty good shape, actually, to address the needs of Maui fire recovery. Um, He talked about there being a big influx of federal aid and the ability to reallocate funds dedicated to less urgent capital improvement projects. So I I think from a budget standpoint, uh, with some of the previous decisions and the current council report, we should be okay. And then if we see what happened uh, on Kauai after Iniki, once the insurance claims get settled and the rebuilding process starts, we should see for a two or three year uh, window going forward, a very robust construction uh, activity that will be generating some of the loss of tourism revenue on Maui. It's interesting, you know, we hear lots of reference to uh, the recovery uh, from Aniki, uh, you know, as as we start to draw these parallels and the lessons learned and how do we parlay this into a faster recovery for Maui. Right, yeah, exactly. And that those are those types of lessons that I think that the lawmakers are really keeping in mind going into this upcoming legislative session to really, you know, as speakers, Psyche said, you know, centering Hawaii. Yeah, and, you know, those issues of uh, short-term vacation rentals, you know, the need for housing for our local people. Again, nothing new, but given that we have just come out of this, you know, natural disaster, 
uh, I think it's probably going to maybe do a lot to drive the the impetus for passing uh, bills and at least coming to some consensus on uh, passing legislation that will be meaningful. Right, yeah, and I think to, you know, some of these issues are, are not new, as you were saying, you know, like economic development, you know, trying to diversify like these different streams of the economy. Affordable housing is always, you know, top of mind, but, you know, on top of all of that, now they're trying to tackle Maui recovery and incorporate all of these big issues that Hawaii's been facing for probably decades now. They've been trying to solve them, but then adding on this huge disaster that they they really need to work on, you know, helping residents recover from that. And then, of course, there's lots of focus on water conservation, water management in the Red Hill. And so it's just a lot of different big topics that are just getting wrapped up into this overarching, all these overarching issues that they've been trying to tackle for forever. Right. And so, as you mentioned, Psyche will be uh, introducing the package of bills to to help Maui with its recovery. Um, What else can we look out for? Um, yeah, that was, I mean, obviously the the big ticket item yesterday that they really wanted to hone in on. They were talking a lot about economic diversification. Um, Psyche was saying that, you know, we've been relying on these unsustainable kind of streams of, of income that are both like unsustainable for our climate and for the islands and as well as, you know, day to day. And I think in that he was referring to maybe like over tourism or so, so that's obviously on the plate. And then there was some talk about um, recreational marijuana legislation. Um, that's also back on the table this upcoming session. The attorney general released kind of a, a, a path forward, if not, not recommending necessarily that we should legalize recreational marijuana, but that if the state were to decide to do so, this is like the best practices for if they were going to. So there was talk of some of that too. So we'll probably see that as well going into the session as another kind of side topic going in. All right. And, and I know usually there's a perennial uh, gambling bill or two <laughs> that makes its way through, <laughs> but I guess we'll uh, have to see what happens uh, uh, on the cutoff date on January 24th, right? When the, when the bills right. are supposed to be in. Yeah. That's the the kind of cutoff day. And I guess if for people who haven't been following the legislature for a long time, there's just some basics that we could kind of go over really quickly to help people if you're just trying to get into it or start following bills and whatnot. And so just a quick reminder that there's the House and there's the Senate, two separate chambers. Bills, as you said, can be introduced until January 24th. Bills are voted on three times in each chamber, although they kind of usually almost always automatically just pass through the first one. Um, They don't really do like a formal vote on them usually. And then after each chamber is done voting on those bills, the ones that make it through that will go back to the other side. So the House bills will go to the Senate and the Senate bills will go to the House. And then they do it all over again and until they make some type of agreement. And if they can't come to an agreement, though, that's when those bills die or they sometimes can be carried over to the next session. Although bills from the 2024 session will not be carried over until 2025. And we should probably direct people to the public access room if they have any questions about uh, tracking legislation and uh, they can uh, join and and listen on on those hearings, which are going to be online as well. Yeah, the public access room is really great. They have so many uh, different types of tutorials on their website about how to use the government websites, how to track bills, how to submit testimony, what you need to do if you want to go to a hearing. And I think there may be one or two more Zoom workshops that you can attend if you are really interested. So, (laughs) yeah, they're a wonderful resource. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. It's so nice to see you again. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. We've been talking to HBR's Ashley Mizuo. Look for her stories on hawaiipublicradio.org. It's Michael Barbaro, host of The Daily. Join us for an in-depth look into the world's biggest stories. Catch The Daily Monday through Thursday at 1.30 here on HPR One.
on the next Fresh Air, why homeschooling is America's fastest growing form of education. We talk with Washington Post reporter Peter Jamison, who says, homeschoolers are an increasingly diverse group with a variety of motivations. But some advocates say poor regulation of homeschooling may shortchange kids academically and leave them at greater risk of abuse. Join us. Fresh Air, beginning this afternoon at 3, following On Point. week, the think tank Pacific Forum, a local research institute, brought together top brass in our community, from military leaders to policymakers to industry experts. The annual conference focused on a number of things, including technology and security in the region. Defense contractor Booz Allen took part in the gathering that zeroed in on strategies for dealing with things like cybersecurity and AI, artificial intelligence. We talked to the company's global defense sector president, Judy Dotson, and chief technology officer, Ed Barnabas, about the company's efforts to build our local workforce. It was an opportunity for us to think about how do we integrate, what's our focus areas, what needs to be our priorities, and I think at the end of the day, we all walked out energized and understanding the importance of us coming together in an integrated way and moving quickly to get our work done. Gosh, I mean, this isn't the first time that the Pacific Forum has taken up this issue, but was there anything different this year? I think the difference was a seriousness in how quickly we need to move. Exactly to your point, cyber was a big discussion. Zero trust and making sure that all of our assets are protected is critically important. Ensuring that we have trusted relationships from a cyber perspective as as well as from a cultural perspective so that we're sharing the right information at the right time was another aspect of the conversation that I thought was was super important. And then when you layer the technologies on part of it, I think there's a kind of a foundational understanding and cooperation that we need to all bring to set us up to use the latest technologies and bring the leading leading edge technologies on top of it. So as an example, AI is is absolutely a a capability that can help us move fast. But to, to get the value of AI, you've got to be sure that you've got all your data integrated and all the connections are in place and we've got the right information together. So there's a lot of work that uh, goes into it and that needs to be done. And I felt like we walked out of that conference energized around around what we need to do. And Ed, jump in here, you know, because your boots on the ground here in Hawaii. How do we grow our capacity to deal with the developments in technology like AI? You know, we actually look at it in in, uh, multiple facets. I think the first is our business focus in the region is primarily defense and national security. And as Judy said, um, when we think about the toughest national security problems or the the toughest missions for our, our, our defense clients from anything from supporting logistics and maintenance to making sense of the massive amounts of data that are available from the United States government, from partners and allies, um, coming off uh, the prol- proliferation of just millions of sensors, and also just empowering what we think about uh, a digital battle space, AI is absolutely an accelerator around that. So the demand that we're seeing from our clients is exponentially growing around how can we integrate machine learning and artificial intelligence so that we can make decisions faster. And I think um, the, the biggest um, advantage that we have is how we can make decisions in a more informed way and in real time, and AI is a great enabler of that. But uh, outside of what we're doing just specifically for our clients on island, as you said, there's a huge uptick in demand, and some is curiosity, some is demand, some is more kind of immediate in terms of um, businesses, but we're starting to see the uptick for demand in AI across all the major sectors on island, from shipping to banking to health to tourism, and how we think about the workforce um, immediately and long term is going to be critical in terms of how we meet the demand for AI. Share with us maybe the sense of urgency, you know, with the speed at which things are moving, because uh, there are advances that are being made, you know, every month, every day 
uh, when it comes to AI and technology? Um, in general, as we've seen, a great example is ChatGPT last year was on the um, was on the front page of almost every uh, media outlet, and and how it's been a huge disruptive technology. And the, the main takeaway from that is it's 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 unavoidable, right? The, the advancement of generative AI um, is now impacts almost every aspect of our life. And the second takeaway from that is the advancement of generative AI, which is based on LLMs or large language models. The advancement of that technology has exponentially grown just in the past two years. And so the takeaway is technology has already taken huge leaps in the past um, just short few years, and it's, it's now poised to take even bigger leaps. And so the, the immediacy is um, how do we grapple with it? And it's not just from um, a, a technology point of view. I think it brings questions around ethical AI, it, um, around how we govern, how we um, develop um, our processes and procedures within organizations, and then how do we use it for good? And so I think it can't be a conversation that gets pushed down the road. I think especially here in Hawaii is we don't want to be in a reactionary mode. I think we need to be in a proactive mode in terms of how we integrate it into our industries, but then also how we push the education of AI down to our keiki and the starts all the way down it at kindergarten through 12, not just when you get to the university level. So there, there's so many different ways in terms of how to process the investment of AI. It's multi-pronged. We like to think of it in different ways, not just from our delivery um, for our business, but then how we can help the community as well. If, if I could add to what Ed just said, I step back and let's, let's go move away from the discussion focused directly on the defense sector and talk more broadly about the world and where things are going. So we know that there's an, an enormous amount of data. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't feel that, right? It's overwhelming. How do you use that data? At the same time, with the new technologies, there's a tremendous amount of modernization going on around the digital footprints that companies have. But the decisions in terms of how you modernize and how you're going to use that data are all reliant on the capabilities and the, and the data literacy of your users. So it's all intertwined. So we have today a situation where there's an opportunity to make the most of the investments that have been made in the past. But in order to do that, you really have to have an understanding of where you want to go and what the potential is, and that often requires a degree of data literacy to analyze what you have and decide what technologies you want to move toward. So I think that, that that's not unique to any industry. That's just the state of the world. And we're at, we're at this interesting point where we can take advantage of the investments of the past and really drive us forward in an efficient way. Well, you know, we've just come through this pandemic and a major disruption of our systems. We are doing more things by Zoom and by phone, you know, where we would normally be face-to-face. And it just forced us to look at things in a different way, you know. And being out here in the Pacific, you know, I think that technology just showed that, look, you don't have to be here on the rock. You can be across the globe. But at the same time, you know, it works both ways, right? I mean, we don't have to import talent. We can grow it right here. Absolutely. I think one thing that we're very proud of in the past few years is in our collaboration with universities is portraying the possibility of technical work even within the island, right? And so we definitely have to look at how to continue to broaden the technical workforce on island but I think a key aspect of that is really educating students on the jobs that are here today. So to your point, they can be more equipped when they graduate to move into these uh, jobs that have immediate demand. They have a chance to stay on island. They don't have to leave. They have a chance to have a job in a um, field in which they studied, and they can make a really great wage and not feel like they have to leave to do that. So I think the first step in the past few years was just educating the students on different pathways. So maybe they, when they think of DOD work, they think of the shipyard, right? But what they weren't aware was is the high demand for technologists, from engineers to data scientists to cyber professionals here on island. And so there's an immediate um, impact we can make by bridging the knowledge gap of the students coming out today who want to be in the technology field with the jobs that are on island today, and then looking long-term in terms of how do we continue to 
broaden that number of folks. Growing that workforce uh, is going to be key. I mean, I recall doing a thing with Y2K being and being on a battleship, and they were simulating the transition because no, no one was real sure what was going to happen. And yet they talked, uh, the military talked about how a lot of the people that were sitting in those chairs grew up with video games. And it was, it's a whole different you know, world. Uh, and that skill set uh, they developed as uh, children, you know, the, the military was parlaying that into skills, you know, aboard their vessels. And so it was just a fascinating kind of, uh, you know, slice of life into what was happening in this, the whole workforce development. I think that's right. The exposure that young people have to technology is so different than anything I experienced. Um, you know, I'm not young. So, uh, but, but I think that all of that helps contribute to the skills that they need in the workforce going forward. And I know Booz Allen just recently expanded its offices and is trying to make some inroads in developing the workforce. I don't know. Is there anything else, uh, Ed, that you want to share? Yeah, recently we, we actually held a, um, a really amazing collaboration and partnership with the uh, Chamber of Commerce and uh, Department of Education through partnerships that we have with nonprofits called AIEDU and the Mark Cuban Foundation. We've been working with local government to really think about how we're equipping students as young as kindergarten with the necessary exposure that then lends itself to um, jobs to just understand how AI uh, uh, fits within the education system and how that leads to different paths. And that needs to start at a very young age. It's, it's very hard to um, have students not be exposed and then all of a sudden just think with one certification or maybe one class when they get to high school or college that they understand that. It has to be very much ingrained and um, part of the culture in terms of the curriculum. And, uh, and one thing that we did there when we partnered with DOE is that we definitely have to think about how we're teaching our keiki. However, the program was actually directed at teachers because they are the main translators between what, uh, what a student understands in terms of what they're learning and how that translates into industry when they come out of school. And so we partnered with AIEDU to provide curriculum to teachers to help them think through how they can um, blend in uh, different curriculum within the STEM programs in the schools so that they can help translate some of these very, as you said, rapidly changing technologies into the curriculum that they're learning today. And on top of that, we've been partnering with Climb High. Um, uh, said we mentioned Chamber of Commerce, um, and also we're the major sponsor for FIRST Robotics on Island. So all of these things have a cumulative effect for the, for the community in the island in terms of uh, whether it's STEM programs or looking at AI specifically, but it's really just to keep growing that workforce um, and enabling that pipeline for, um, for the next generation. Any final thoughts, Judy? I would say here on the island, we have about 350 people in the office that Ed just mentioned and growing. Across the Pacific, we're approaching 700. A large portion of our work is focused on enabling technologies. And the way that we do that is we pair the technologists with mission experts to get us to the right solutions for our clients. So if that sounds interesting, we'd love to talk. All right. Well, we thank uh, both of you for your time. It's obviously we've got to get in early to be able to influence, I guess, the operating systems of our young people, of our young minds. (laughs) Absolutely. You said it best. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Booz Allen's Judy Dotson and Ed Barnabas talking to us about the landscape of artificial intelligence in our community and globally. We'll be right back after a break. wireless company serving the island since 2005, committed to providing personal service to each customer, featuring a locally-based customer care team. Learn more at moby.com. 
The world takes you outside our borders to connect with critical events, as well as fascinating and often overlooked parts of our planet. And soon two of us will be behind the mic, bringing you the world. I'm Marco Werman. Starting this week, join me and my new co-host, Carolyn Beeler. More global news, fresh new sound. It's on the world. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for HPR comes from Anainaho Community Park on Kauai, presenting East L.A. band Los Lobos, performing their Mexican and Latin American-influenced rock and roll January 26th and 27th. Tickets at anainaho.org. it's time to document the answer to today's backyard quiz. Earlier we asked you to give us the name of a PBS documentary exploring the life and times of Queen Liliu Okalani. It was first released in 1982 as part of a series American Experience on the public broadcasting system. American Experience has covered nearly 400 years of American history from the arrival of the pilgrims to the modern environmental movement. This series has presented biographies of presidents, industrialists, and influential cultural figures, but Lili'u Okalani has the distinction of being both the only monarch and the first Hawaiian subject of the series. The documentary spotlights the life of a woman far ahead of her Western peers. She dined at the White House, was received at Buckingham Palace, and organized Hawaii against a smallpox outbreak at a time when women in the West were still largely regulated to domestic roles. And the name of that documentary is American Experience, Hawaii's Last Queen. That was the answer we were looking for today, and no winners. But that's the quiz. If you have an idea for one, write to talk back at hawaiipublicradio.org. So that does it for us today. Up tomorrow, we tip our hats to the 25th anniversary of the Peace Poem Project that started in Maui. Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217, or email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Find the Conversation podcast on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you tune in for podcasts. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.